guys. Welcome back to another episode of the In No Hurry podcast. This is your host, Colt Douglas Claiborne. Excited to be back with you guys this week for another episode. It's July 4th week, so I hope you guys are able to celebrate with friends, family, and whoever else you gather with this week. Hope you have some time away from work and whatever else keeps you busy to celebrate this country and just have some time relaxing, hopefully eating some good food as well. As you all know, I love sports, and in particular, I love baseball. And so this week, I'm super excited to share this conversation that I had with Scott Weinbrink. Those of you that are Major League Baseball fans will know Scott from his 12 years in the Major Leagues as a relief pitcher. He was pretty dominant for several of those. Spent quite a few years with the San Diego Padres and the Chicago White Sox. Also spent a little bit of time with my St. Louis Cardinals toward the end of his career. And Scott just has an amazing story, especially with what he has done after his baseball career. He is on staff with an organization called Water Mission, which we're going to talk quite a bit about in this conversation. But essentially, Water Mission is a nonprofit that goes into really underdeveloped, underprivileged countries and provides them with clean water and other resources that they need to live. It's a really great resource, a really, really great nonprofit organization. And Scott has done some great work and he's got some great stories to share from his experiences with Water Mission. Scott is also the host of the Get In The Game podcast, which is on the Sports Spectrum Podcast Network. And I actually had the privilege of working with Scott to produce that show. And so I've gotten to know him over the last two or three years really well. And what I love about Scott is he's got such a heart for service. And that's really what his show is about. He has a lot of former baseball players on, but just a lot of people in general that have done things uh, to showcase their heart of service or talk about what service means to them. And so this is one of my favorite conversations when it comes to this idea of what does it mean to serve, not just serve God, but also serve others. I think Scott really embodies that well, and I think you guys will hear that through this conversation. So thanks again for tuning in. Here is my conversation with Scott Leinbrink. Well, Scott, I'm happy to finally have you on the show. We've talked about this a couple of times and been working with you for a couple of years now, and I'm glad that we finally scheduled the time to get you on. How's it going, man? It's going good, Cole. Yeah, glad to be here. So I, I'm super excited to chat with you just as a as a fan of yours, uh, as a person, but also as a baseball fan in general, to talk with you about your career and what you've been doing post-baseball career. Uh, but I guess we'll, we'll kind of start, uh, with, with your, your walk with Jesus. You've got a great heart for God and you, and you do, you use this to, to serve other people. And you talk about service a ton on your podcast, which we'll get into quite a bit later, but, uh, talk to me, talk to me about where your, uh, relationship with Jesus started. Was there a particular moment that you can point to, or was it kind of gradual or just what was, uh, what was your relationship like and how, how did that start? So my journey with Jesus uh, took place over many years. Um, I would say that the evolution of that relationship, you know, really grew. And a lot of it had to do with my uh, career in baseball. So uh, uh, going back to like the early days, uh, I was raised in a Christian home, uh, went to church, was baptized and confirmed, went to the Lutheran church. Uh, I actually went to Lutheran schools all the way up until middle school. So I would say I had a, a really strong indoctrination 
Um, but, and if you would have asked me back then, I would have said, of course, I'm a Christian. Um, I've got a relationship with God, but I, I believe that I had to get out and, and experience some real life experiences before my faith really became real. And, um, and I would say that that, I really started that journey probably in college and then into uh, early pro ball, uh, where I had a period of wandering. Uh, it was really about like, I was out in the world. I was away from home, you know, so much of my life early on, I think had been somewhat sheltered, living in a bubble, um, was around a lot of people who were Christians who walked the walk and talked the talk. Um, but I, I think that, you know, getting outside of that and really experiencing the world and, and being around people of different backgrounds and faith backgrounds, uh, and really starting to ask some questions about what do I believe? And I think that that really came about, um, where I, I really had to make a decision, you know, am I just walking along with the rest of the world? You know, the Bible talks about do not conform, but be transformed uh, by the renewing of your mind. I was not doing anything to renew my mind. I was just, you know, kind of relying on this inherited faith that had been passed down to me from my parents. Um, but I, I would say in my early 20s, I really started to question, what do I believe? And does my life look any different than anyone else's? One uh, teammate actually in a Bible study posed the question, if you were charged with being a Christian in a court of law, would there be enough evidence to convict you? And that really that question really stuck with me. And I thought, I don't know. I don't know what my uh, what other people would say about that. I don't know uh, for sure, you know, what uh, eternity would look like for me if my life were to end now. And so it, it really um, forced me to kind of uh, address the issue. And I would say through that process, and it was around that time that I met my wife, and uh, she really encouraged me in that too. And we, we uh, in a lot of ways, journeyed that together. Um, but I had some great men in my life at that key time, um, baseball chaplains and mentors, and uh, just people who um, I believe were, were men of God that really challenged me to, to become the same thing. That's that's really interesting you say that because this is uh, something that I've been talking about uh, quite a bit with some people and even thinking about myself and writing about is, uh, you know, that we, we, we do go through periods of doubt sometimes as Christians. And, and I went through a very uh, similar period about six or seven years ago when my faith mentor was killed. I've talked about it quite a bit on the show. Uh, he was a worship pastor at my church and he was killed by a drunk driver. And in my mid 20s, it was one of those situations where I was kind of like, why do I believe what I believe? And for me, that was a, a very pivotal moment in my faith journey because it led me to sort of an investigatory uh, approach to Christianity. Like rather than just taking what I had heard from pastors and you know music and whatever else and books that I had read, it was what what does the Word of God say about this? And I and it really led me to a, a moment where I was in the Word a lot more and really studying to know who it was that God says He is, and you know. Yeah, we want to know why bad things happen, or we want to know why you know hardship happens, and we go to God with those questions. What did that look like for you? Was it was it you talked about you had the, these people in your life, but did you kind of go through a similar thing where where you really were seeking out answers yourself, almost taking like a, a kind of an investigatory approach to it, or um, just what what did that process look like for you to to maybe not get all the answers, but to you know at least uh, explore some of the questions you were having. Well, often when I share my my testimony, I talk about how I was really um, set in a, a works-based mentality. Mm -hmm. And I think a lot of that came from just being in a performance-driven industry where, hey, if I'm going to excel in baseball, I have to go out there and perform. 
Um, I, I'm not going to advance if I can't get anybody out. <laughs> and so I felt like, you know, advancement depended on how well I did. And of course I wanted to do well. I wanted to get to the next level. Um, and so, you know, I kind of approached faith in the same way. I even remember at one point making a deal with God, you know, God, if I do this, will you do this? Mm -hmm. Um, and that kind of bargaining power never works because <laughs> if, if we really understand what God did, he's already done it. He sent his son Jesus to the cross and he forgave us and he loves us despite our sin. And so I bring nothing to the table when it when it comes to bargaining. Uh, matter of fact, it says my best efforts are filthy rags in his economy. And so, um, you know, I think it was coming to grips with that and realizing that, hey, this isn't about anything that I do. God's not going to be any more pleased with me than he already is. He already loves me and it's not based on anything that I can do to to uh, to do anything more for him. Of course, he loves it when we come to him. He loves it when we do things to glorify his name, and that should be our sole purpose in life. Um, but I think accepting from an identity standpoint that I'm a child of God, I am saved, and, and that happens first. And then from that realization, then I go out and I live my life. And so um, I think when I started realizing that, I started letting go of control of my life. And one of the biggest things was letting go of control of my baseball career and really, you know, crying out to God and saying, you know, I'm tired of, of just out there battling and fighting for every inch of uh, progress. And, uh, and I really want to live, uh, as, as a child called by you and, and someone, you know, that's really intent on seeking out your calling in my life. Mm -hmm. And so whether, that may be here in double A or it may be in the big leagues or it may be out of baseball altogether. I've got to be okay with that. And I think, you know, once I, I prayed that prayer and, and confessed that to God, I really experienced a peace and a freedom that I'd never felt before. And I think that was really the first time that my faith became real to me. Yeah. It's interesting hearing athletes talk about that because you're so geared toward production, especially at the, at, at the sport of baseball, it's, it's unlike a lot of other sports to where, you know, in, in football, you get drafted as a rookie. A lot of times you're going to get on the field at some point that year. Baseball, you've got to grind three, four, five years, sometimes even longer for some guys to get to the big leagues. And, and you've got to have a decision. Sometimes you go out of high school, do you go to college? And if you go to college, you got to wait three years. And then there's another couple of years. Usually it's not like you just get drafted and then you're in the big leagues right away. You've got to really grind. And and there's a, I think, obviously I never played baseball at a high level, but following the sport, it's like, there's this mentality. It seems like from when you're in the minor leagues, it's like, I've got to produce and I've got to produce fast. Otherwise I may miss out on my chance. And so you may get this mentality of, of I got to produce to show my value. What kind of freedom did you experience when you embraced that, I guess, sort of dichotomy of, God, I give you my baseball career. Not that you weren't still competitive, but you, I would assume, had a different approach to it and maybe um, didn't feel as anxious with, with it. Just what sort of freedom did you experience when when you were going through your baseball career and, and you said, God, I'm giving you this and I trust you with what happens or what doesn't happen? Well, I think it's all about where the motivation is coming from. And I, I think the difference for me was you know, there's a there's a more important aspect at play here, and it's not my baseball career. It's not uh, monetary gain. It's not the fame and the glory that comes with playing in major leagues. Um, but it's it's really about 
God, if my true purpose is to glorify you, then I recognize that you can do that through me, whether or not I'm playing baseball or selling insurance or being a pastor somewhere. So um, it really became, you know, what would you have me do? And just, you know, kind of like Moses when he stood there and said, you know, what, what do you want me to do? Um, you know, you, you've placed everything that I need in my hand. I've got it here and I just want to use what's in my hand to to serve you. And for me, that was a baseball at that time. Um, but I think, you know, when I did uh, give it over to him and just truly seek him in each each aspect of of my life and and each um you know turn in the road or you know when when uh, trials came up which they still came i mean i think there's a lot of misconception that when we give our life to christ that it's smooth sailing um but really what i have found is that i'm just quicker to pray and so when i know that god hears my prayer that god answers prayers maybe it he's not answering it in the way that i want him to but his answer is always better than mine because his ways are are higher than my ways, his thoughts higher than my thoughts. Mm-hmm. So if I can really just trust that, and really it is a trust, it's coming to grips with the fact that I've got everything that I need right here. There's nothing incomplete that I am going to seek out, whether it's in a career, whether it's in money, whether it's in purpose, um, I've already got that. And so really just resting. You know, one of the, one of my favorite verses is uh, Psalm 46 that really just says, be still and know that I'm God. And when I am still, when I uh, drown out the distractions that so often uh, pollute my mind and I can just lean into his word and his promises, that's when I really experience that peace that passes all understanding. Yeah, that that's kind of... Uh that was part of the the heart behind the name of this podcast in no hurry. It was, I started this right after a season of life when I was just insanely busy. And so this was kind of a reminder of myself to be still and, and not just hear God, but be still and be with God. Cause I mean, yeah, we, we go a hundred miles an hour all the time and uh, life, life catches up to us. So I, I love that perspective. And I, I want to go back kind of to your minor league career too, because I, the minor leagues to me are just such a fascinating part of, of pro sports. Uh, we kind of talked about it a minute ago, but you're grinding individually, yet you're still playing as a team. And I, I'm sure there's an aspect of, you know, there might be some guys in the organization that you're competing against to get that promotion, but you still want to be teammates with them and you're friends with them. And it's got to be kind of a weird mix of emotions to where when maybe somebody gets called up that you feel like should have been you, but you want to be happy for them, but then you're still competitive. How did, how did you navigate that part of your career, especially in the context of your faith to where I, I would imagine that there's for for a lot of guys, comparison, maybe some envy and jealousy and frustration all comes into play yet you're still competing as a team and you're trying to win as a team, but it's like you individually, you want to matriculate to the higher levels. So can you describe that at just at, from a player's perspective, what that's like and, and maybe what the, the inner dynamic of, of the clubhouse for a, a minor league team is like, and then as a Christian, how do you not let some of those worldly pressures uh, and frustrations and, you know, things like envy and jealousy take over when maybe it could be easy to do so? Yeah, it's tough. And uh, I'd love to sit here and say that, you know, my faith uh, elevated me above envy and jealousy. But the fact is, you know, we're all humans and we have a a sinful nature about us. And I think there was some real heart issues that I had to deal with at certain points in my career. Um, You know, we I I think, uh, too, and I don't know where this came from. Again, you know, a lot of great mentors and coaches throughout my career, but 
Um, I realized along the way that, you know, if you are having envy and jealousy, if you are uh, all about comparison with others, you know, it's really, it really comes from a fear mentality. Um, you know, it, it comes from um, a selfish mentality. Maybe, maybe there's some things that I've really got to deal with in, inside my heart. Um, Bible tells us that the heart is deceitfully wicked. And so even when we have that, that heart transformation, um, you know, it's still, there's still opportunities for uh, that wickedness to, to creep up again. And so I think just recognizing it right off what it is and, and praying that, that God would uh, take that, that feeling away. Um, what I found, you know, through a team aspect is that it's way better to be an encourager to be somebody that roots for other people instead of rooting for myself or, you know, even rooting for the demise of another so that I can maybe leapfrog ahead of them. Um, and, you know, I, I came to see that in others too, that there were people that were just not fun to be around because you could tell that there was just a, a real strife, um, you know, that they were all about themselves. Mm-hmm. Um, I think, you know, you mentioned my podcast talking about serving, that's why I think that serving is such a huge answer to all of this sin is because when we can put others ahead of ourselves, when we can put the interest of others as more important than our interests, um, it really just turns turns the whole equation around. Mm-hmm. Um, it sets it on its head. And, and um, you know, you can really surprise some people by serving. And what that looked like in the clubhouse was, you know, coming and and picking up dishes for somebody and throwing them away or, or, you know, maybe just uh, reaching down and picking something up for somebody. I mean, the simple acts that we can do every day and all of us have an opportunity to do that within our own homes. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was really counterintuitive to the typical clubhouse atmosphere, which is usually, you know, sit back and serve me. Um, you know, yeah. you need something, you holler at a clubby and, and ask them to go get it for you. Um, and so, you know, if we can set that on its, on its head and, and, uh, turn around and be a servant, uh, people take notice of that, especially in a clubhouse. I mean, you got to think these guys are with each other every single day for 180 days, you know, 200 days. Sometimes you make the playoffs. So there's not a whole lot of place to hide. I mean, the, the true colors really come out in the course of a season. And, um, and so, you know, I just, I came more and more to realize that, if I can serve others, if I can be an encourager, if I can be everyone else's biggest fan above my own biggest fan, uh, that's going to turn around and come back to me in spades. And I think about the relationships that that God gave me throughout the game and, and the things that I enjoy now has nothing to do with accolades or stats or awards uh, that came my way when I was playing. It's those relationships. That's the real richness. And And when we invest in those, you can't go wrong. Yeah, I, I think from my perspective, you know, getting to hear your show every other week is the guys that you have on a lot of the a lot of your contemporaries that you played baseball with, you know, the Jim Tomies, Trevor Hoffman, those guys. I think it's pretty apparent to anybody who listens that that those guys had a lot of respect for you. And, you know, you're you're a, a relief pitcher. And, you know, like you said, maybe didn't have the accolades of some guys like Trevor Hoffman and, and Jim Tomey and those guys, but they, they seem to treat you just like you're one of their brothers and, and whether you played with them or, or only played against them, it seems like these guys just had a lot of respect for you. So it seems like that, that to me seems like a testament to, to what you're talking about is uh, you know, that aspect of, I'm just going to treat these guys like, you know, they are my brothers in Christ. I'm going to treat them with respect and, and be friends with them. Cause I, I can imagine, you know, it does get competitive and, 
you know, maybe, maybe there were times when you did get, you know, some jawing back and forth. I don't know that happens with athletes, but uh, it seems like for the most part, the guys that you played with all, all seem really excited when they get a chance to talk with you. And that's really cool. Like, it just seems like it, it, fe- it feels a lot of times like it's like your long lost friends where you haven't talked in a while and they're just so super excited to, to get back talking with you. And I could tell that during your playing days, you guys probably handed up quite a bit and, and had a good time. So like you're saying, I think that that speaks a lot uh, of volumes to your character, at least from my from my perspective. Well, you mentioned those two guys, Trevor and Jim. Uh, those are two of my favorite teammates of all time. And uh, I've got their pictures each on on their on my wall here in my office mm-hmm. um, because I'm I'm reminded of of just what great men that they are, that they continue to be. Um, Jim was a guy who hit 600 home runs, who's in the Hall of Fame. And when I played with him, I mean, he was uh, had had you know some great days and and had some great days ahead of him too. And yet he would take time to stop in, in the middle of going to the cage to hit, to ask me how I was doing. And it wasn't just a casual, hey, how you doing, and keep moving. But uh, I could tell that he took a genuine interest in me. He stopped and wanted to really hear, how's your family doing? How are you doing? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Trevor was a guy that that always was taking the entire bullpen out to dinner, or he was having his team over to his house for an, an off-day barbecue. Uh, he just enjoyed being around people. He enjoyed giving back and, and, and welcoming people in and, and having them be part of his family. And so, you know, those were special relationships and those guys taught me a lot about what it meant to be a good teammate. Mm-hmm. That's awesome. Scott, how, how many years did you spend in the minor leagues before you made it up to the bigs? Well, so I got drafted in 97, um, okay. went and played half a season and then, uh, all of 98, uh, and 99, uh, in the minor leagues. And then in 2000, I broke into the big leagues about two weeks into the season. And then for the next three years, I was really on a, a shuttle back and forth. Okay. Um, I, I would spend as little as three days, uh, or as many as three months and, um, in the big leagues and then have to go back to the minor leagues. So, uh, there was a period there where I was going up and down. I think I went up a, a, a total of 10 times back and forth. And so, you know, each one of those, uh, it's it's gets harder and harder to come back down you know once you get a taste of a big league life but um but yeah it it was uh it was definitely a journey but made me really appreciate the journey and and when i got up there i I didn't want to take anything for granted yeah and i asked that just to kind of hear you know what what you maybe learned about patience during that because i can imagine Mm -hmm. you know you play a college career and you have success and, and you're you're gearing to get to the big leagues and especially when you finally get there then you get sit back down and, and you're kind of like, man, I wish I was up there. I feel like I should be up there. And a lot of times, I mean, like I said, in baseball, it's tough because you got to really wait your turn. And, you know, with relief pitchers, teams are always shuffling guys in and out. And uh, sometimes guys get sent off of teams, they get DFA'd, uh, which non-baseball fans basically means you're, you're cut from the team. And then you got to find a new team to play for. And then those guys may sign you to a minor league contract. It's, it's pretty cutthroat and it's, and it's, it's a grind. I mean, it truly is a grind. And at the minor leagues, many people may not realize this, but you don't get a lot of the perks that you get in the big leagues. You know, a lot of times you're riding the bus to games. It's not a fancy big stadium. It's not a big crowd. It's, it's not the glamorous, uh, you know, spotlight that you might have in the big leagues. And so you want to get back up there. And so what can you, what can you remember about that time of your career and maybe even just your career in general, uh, perhaps dealing with an injury, waiting to get back on to the field and things like that. But what did you learn about patience? 
I guess starting first early in your career with the minor leagues and kind of that taxi and back and forth, but then especially as you got older, you know, maybe what perspective did you gain toward the end of your career? Yeah, well, patience is a great idea when you're talking about it in retrospect. Yeah, uh, true. When you're when you're in the moment, it's a terrible idea. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, all you want is to get out of whatever current situation you're in, and there were many instances or many um, uh, times where you know patience was very much necessary. And you talk about early on minor league days, like trying to get to the big leagues. Yes, there was there was a an aspect of patience there. I found that it was um, more so necessary on the backside of my career when maybe I wasn't um, in a role that I expected to. I had, you know, kind of had some expectations about when and where I should be pitching. And now all of a sudden I'm not. Uh, maybe I'm one of the older guys and there's some, you know, younger phenoms that that throw a little bit harder and a little bit, uh, you know, better out there than I am. And that's sometimes a hard thing to admit. And so, again, you know, recognizing that, that um, you're not the man sometimes and that you're more in a supporting role um, than, you know, a, a, a pivotal figure. Um, and so, you know, patience was definitely something that that I was taught there. What I found is that, you know, no matter what scenario you're talking about or situation and the lessons that I learned in patience, um, they they reared their head uh, often. And, um, and, you know, some of those same situations came back around years later and it was like, I needed reminders of, of what it meant to be patient. Like it was the first time I was learning. And so, you know, I, I felt like, you know, just because I had had this experience and that I had come through that with a, an epiphany and had like a newfound respect for where I was at, um, it didn't mean that I was learning it for good. Um, there was a lot of times that, that God brought situations back into my life to teach me that all over again. And uh, in some ways, I feel like there's still things that are happening today that that um, are showing me the need for patience. And uh, right now I'm raising a couple of teenagers. And so yeah. I can tell you a lot about patient in that aspect. But uh, <laughs> yeah. But the thing that I know is that if I can wake up every day and um, be thankful for the the gifts that I've been given and really seek God first, um, there's things that come about in my quiet time in the morning when I read his word and when I fellowship with him in prayer um, that I know that I wouldn't have gained that if I would have just woken up and started my day. And so I, I really feel that that's important to start each day um, getting into God's word getting started right. And, um, and it seems like, you know, things just go better if I can do that. And I'm, I'm more patient, I'm more understanding, I'm more gracious, I'm more gentle, you know, all of those fruits of the spirit. Um, those are great, great measures and values for, for the Christian life. They're so hard to live out, but when we can continuously remind ourselves of them in God's word each day, um, we, we can gravitate more towards those than the, the, the desires of the flesh. Yeah. I, I love, I love that perspective. Th this is a question. I don't know that I've really asked a lot of athletes this, but it just kind of came to me. And, uh, I, how many, first off, how, how many years did you play in the big leagues? I know I probably should have looked this up before. It was over a decade, I think, but how many years did you play? Yeah. 12 seasons. That, that was the number that I had in my mind. I think I mm -hmm. looked that up before. So yeah, 12 seasons and you spend a little bit of time with, with my St. Louis Cardinals, spent a lot of time with the Padres and the White Sox and uh, not sure who else you spent time with, but, but several other teams. Uh, but when you think back to your career, this may be tough to answer, but uh, what would you say was 
the highest point and the lowest point? And what did you learn about yourself and about God in between those two points? Hmm. Um, well, I'm going to answer your second question first, because I would say God's faithfulness is always apparent. Um, you know, it was really cool when I, um, actually, you know, 10 years in the big leagues is kind of a big landmark. Mm -hmm. Um, not a lot of guys get there and I never thought that I'd get one day in the big leagues, much less 10 years in the big leagues. Um, and when I did, my wife gifted me with a watch and, um, it had on a, a Psalm inscripted on the back that I felt like was a perfect Psalm. Uh, Psalm 115, and it says, not to us, O Lord, not to us, but to you be the glory for your steadfast love and faithfulness. And so when I think about steadfastness, when I think about faithfulness, um, that was definitely God's traits through the highs and the lows. And when I think about how different my experience was when I was experiencing that high and how different it was when I was in the depths of the the bottom of my career, um, God was constant in that. God was God never got high or low. God was always constant throughout that. Um, but I think about, you know, a, a real high point was back uh, in San Diego Padres days. Um, and I remember just going on a run at the end of the year and feeling like, you know, every time I went out there, it was almost like, you know, you can't miss, you can't, mm -hmm. you can't not get three outs. Uh, and it just felt like, man, this is easy and it's so much fun and I don't even have to think about it. I just go out there and just do the same thing over and over again. And, you know, it's just like you get this momentum and it's like a flywheel that you spin it and it just, it just keeps going. Um, and I didn't even want to think about it. I, I didn't want to, you know, evaluate it too long because I thought, man, if I try to analyze this, I'm going to, I'm going to screw it all up. So let, let me just keep riding this wave. Um, and then I think about later on in my career uh, with the White Sox when I was coming off an injury and trying to come back from a shoulder, pretty serious shoulder injury and um, just felt like I couldn't get anybody out. And it didn't matter what I did. And my stuff was no different, I felt, than when it when it was, you know, those years in San Diego. And yet it, it just wasn't coming together for me. And um, and no matter how hard I tried, in fact, it felt like the harder I tried, the worse it got. Um, so there again, you know, just having to to really lay it all uh, out before God and say, you know, God, this is yours. It's not mine. Um, do with with me as you please. And if you're trying to teach me something through a, a difficult season, through a storm, um, what do I need to learn? And I think that's um, those are just, you know, times when we can really um, show some some spiritual maturity by saying, you know, it, it's not always going to be the good times. Um, but, you know, God can can really make us realize our dependence on him. And, and sometimes maybe we get too bit dependent on ourselves. And so he has to he has to uh, knock us down a little bit and show us that, you know, he, uh, he's still everything that we need. And if if we're putting our faith and confidence in things outside of him, he wants to pull us back to him. Yeah, that's really cool. I know a lot of athletes when I when I hear them talk about their career, they talk about the the ending of it and how that can be challenging because for your whole life, you're playing baseball and to reconcile and, and to come to grips with the idea that, you know, the career might be over. It can be really difficult for some, some people and that transition of, you know, from playing career to post playing career can be difficult for some. We've seen some athletes, you know, retire for a year or two, then they don't really know what else to do. So then they go back and play. Uh, what was that decision process like for you? And how did you know when it was time to, to, put the, put the cleats down, put the glove down 
and do something else with your life? Well, it was really a decision that was kind of made for me. Uh, it was an injury. Um, yeah. And uh, you mentioned the Cardinals. I was with them. Uh, I had just made the team and um, was tuning up for the season last outing in spring training and just felt something in my shoulder just kind of separate. Um, and uh, and for the next two months, rehabbed and tried to make it back. And it never came back. And eventually I was released, um, had surgery later and had a lot of issues going on in a 36 year old shoulder. So, um, I was at that point where I, I thought the writing was on the wall. Um, I'm, I might've been able to go back and rehab and sign with a team and, you know, work my way back up through the minor leagues. But, um, at that point it was almost 15 years from, from day to day, from when I got drafted to, uh, when I got released. And, um, and I just thought, you know, it's it's time for the next chapter. It's time to raise a family. My kids were getting into school. And um, and I just really felt a release. I felt a peace about it. You know, that's that's one thing I would say is the uh the biggest thing whenever we're we're uh asking some really hard questions of what we should do. Uh again, we should pray. And I think if we ask specific questions, we can feel peace about. Um, you know, questions that we're asking or, or answers that we're, we're seeking. Um, or if we don't feel a peace, then maybe it means that, no, that's not the way that God wants us to go. Maybe he does want us to, to give it another try. Um, but I really felt peace about it. And, um, and so I, I got out of baseball. I, I went back to school. I finished my degree and, um, and I got involved with a great organization, uh, Water Mission. And that's the work that I've been doing now for the last eight years. Yeah. And that's, that's a perfect segue into to the next part of our conversation. I know we, we talked briefly about uh, your podcast, which we can get into as well. And I think part of that goes hand in hand a little bit with, with the work you do at water mission, because a lot of it is on serving people. And I'd love for you to first, I guess, talk to the listeners about what, what is water mission? Uh, what do you guys do there? And why do you have such a heart for the mission of this organization? Water Mission is a Christian um, engineering nonprofit, and so um, we are a group of engineers uh, that love the Lord. Uh, I myself am not an engineer. Don't want to get you uh, misled <laughs> in that, but uh, but yeah, I work with a lot of people that that uh, know how to design solutions for small communities in developing countries that um, you know really solve a lot of their water and sanitation issues. And so it's really cool to see. The work that they do, that they come in and they work with the community to drill wells and put in filtration equipment and water towers and distribution lines. Uh, they teach and they train the community how to uh, wash their hands and practice good hygiene and drink safe water and why that's so much more important than drinking water out of a stream or out of a lake. Um, and really the the transformation that can happen by a community having a good water source and good sanitation facilities is really remarkable. Mm. Um, there's some uh, statistics that we have done in the past that that show there's a 52% decline in waterborne illnesses whenever you put in a, a good permanent uh, water system. And so, you know, I just, I love the humanitarian aspect of what we're doing. We're, we're helping alleviate a lot of pain and suffering and uh, giving them a good foundation for other social initiatives that can come after that, uh, like medical, like uh, education. Um, all of these elevate the economy. And so when you think about the ripple effect, to use a pun here, if, if um, 
uh, if you solve that water problem, it can really um, have a long lasting effect for a lot of other things that are needed for healthy living. And then um, we're a Christian organization too. And so we share God's word in each project that we do. And we're working all over the world. We're working in uh, Africa, uh, Latin America, Indonesia, disaster areas, refugee areas. Um, and so all of these are are satisfying a, a real need in some high need places. Yeah. And I think, you know, I, I finally got a chance to travel internationally this year. And it was my first time really like outside of the comfort zone of where I've lived here in the United States. And I, I was in first world country still, but so it wasn't like I was, you know, traveling to some of the places you've been, but I think for a lot of Americans, if they've not traveled outside of the area, there's really this, it's hard to conceptualize about how other people live. And I, I haven't even seen some of the situations you've been to. I'm just thinking about how I was grateful to at least see other cultures. And I think what, what I'm getting at there is in America, I think we hear about yeah, this country has a, a water issue or this country, you know, they don't have clean water. I think it can be really hard for some people in America to conceptualize how serious of an issue it really is. And you, you travel to some of these places, like you said, Africa, you know, in the Caribbean, places like that. What message would you want Americans to know uh, just about things that you have seen that like, hey, this is this is a, a dire situation that some people are are literally in desperate need of clean water. Uh, and I think we take for granted that we have that amenity here in the United States. So just to maybe some people that, you know, they hear about it and, and they know that it's an issue, but they may not realize just how serious of an issue it is. I mean, from your experience, things that you have seen, what are what are some indelible images that come to mind whenever you talk about this? Well, there's some basic statistics um, that really uh, amplify the or or show the need uh, out there. One, two, over two billion people lack access to safe water. So that's thirty percent of the world's population don't have um, a good place to draw water. Um, twice that number doesn't have access to adequate sanitation facilities. So it is a major problem uh, when you think about. The number one cause of death worldwide for kids under five is diarrhea. Mm -hmm. And that's not something that's fun to talk about. But you think about that comes directly from the water that you drink. And you think about all of the problems that we have. You think about illness and cancer and epidemics. And uh, we're always searching for cures. Um, and a lot of diseases we don't have cures for. We have a cure for bad water. Um, there's no water source that can't be made safe to drink. We have that technology. It's really just about scaling it and putting it into play. And so uh, when you think about the global water crisis, the technology is there. Um, the The people that are out there doing work is there. I think it, it really is comes down to awareness. It comes down to more people standing up, taking notice that when I wake up today, by the end of the day, 2,300 people are going to die because of the water that they drink. And that's a problem that we can solve. I think that's what really motivates people. It's what motivated me. Um, and I realized that, you know, the more advocating that we can do, the more awareness that we can bring to this problem. I think there's a lot of people out there that care. I think there's a lot of people that are just looking for uh, good ways to get involved and to to be difference makers in this world. I think a lot of people um, really want to be that. And so Water Mission is one of or, one of the many organizations that is providing a path for that. Uh, but I think all of us have an opportunity to to be advocates. Um, and it may be water. It may be something else. Um, human trafficking. It may be 
um, you know, orphan care. Uh, there's a lot of different ways that we can serve. But again, uh, really just asking the question, you know, what, what God, what would you have me be a part of? What, what is really breaking your heart? Um, and, and how can I be a part of that change? That's, that's, that's great. I love what you guys do. Uh, I got a chance to go to Charleston last year and, and I drove past y'all's offices and, uh, you get a chance to go to Charleston several times of the year. I love that town. Uh, but yeah, I, I love what you guys do. It's so awesome to hear. I know, like you said, there's a lot of organizations that are, that are clean water companies, but it is such a needed thing. And hearing some of the stories that you know, you've told on your podcast, you've had some athletes and other people that have gone on some trips with you that have worked with water mission. And, and it's so cool. And I would encourage listeners to go check some of those conversations out, uh, which leads me to the next part of the conversation. I'd love to chat about your podcast, get in the game. Uh, you launched this a couple of years ago. Where did the heart behind this come from? Like, was this, uh, something that Jason pitched to you at sports spectrum, or did you have this idea on your own? Was it kind of a collaborative effort? Just where did the genesis of this come from? Yeah, it's funny. Um, we, you know, we, we all know what happened in March of 2020 and, uh, we all fell into COVID, um, and everybody was in the middle of a pandemic and we were wondering what we're going to do when we're stuck in our offices and forced <laughs> to meet on zoom. Um, and one of my buddies actually said, Hey, you know, you work with all these athletes and they're all home right now. Um, why don't you call some of them up and, and maybe just have an interview. And, um, I wouldn't even calling it a podcast at that time. Um, I was calling it quarantine questions. And so I was asking, you know, about three questions. Um, you know, one of them I think was what's the weirdest thing that you've eaten in the pandemic? Because I know we were going into <laughs> our freezer, pulling out stuff that had been in there for years. And yeah, my wife was coming up with all these, uh, new recipes. So, you know, we, we were acting like we were never going to be able to go to the grocery store again in this decade. So, um, <laughs> It was just a fun way to, you know, kind of let people into um, what pro athletes were doing. Cause, you know, whether you're a pro athlete or whether you're an insurance salesman, like we were all affected by the same things. And yeah. uh, Jason saw some of those episodes and said, Hey, you, you do a pretty good job leading that podcast. And I said, Well, I don't even know if I'd call it a podcast, but <laughs> he said, uh, Well, what do you think about leading one for Sports Spectrum? And, um, and he said, You know, your work with Water Mission and your experiences in the mission field. Uh, that could be a, a great source and great topic uh, for you to talk about with some of these other guys. So that's really where it started. And um, he coached me up and um, I bought this $40 microphone from Amazon. And next thing I know, I'm a podcaster. <laughs> yeah, you do. You do a really good job with that. I always enjoy hearing it. And I, I, I you sound like a natural interviewer. I know I've told you that a couple of times. You sound like a natural interviewer. And you kind of have a radio voice, like, honestly, you do have a radio voice. So, uh, this is kind of a natural move for you. I feel like post playing career, uh, what, what is, what's been some of the, the more rewarding parts of that podcast for you? Cause I know like I do my own podcast too, and it, it can be hard to get people scheduled and it can be hard to stay consistent with it. I've definitely gone through periods where I've not been as consistent, uh, but, but you've been pretty consistent since you launched this and you've got a wide network of people that you can call on, you know, former athletes. And, uh, I think it was last year or a year or two ago, you, you had a lot of, uh, former military servicemen that, that came on and talked about service. Uh, so just what, what has been some of the one or two more rewarding parts for you doing this podcast? Maybe that's feedback you've gotten or just, you know, impact that it's had on people that you've heard about, or maybe even for you, just conversations that have meant, to, meant a lot to you and stuck with you. 
Yeah, I, I think first and foremost, it's just fun to highlight other people. Everybody has a story. And so, you know, when you, as you know, you get people on and you hear different stories, you know, some of the stories strike you. Um, I'm always amazed at how, you know, some things that maybe are striking to me are not as um, important for other people. Or, you know, I've, I've heard from several people like, man, that was my favorite podcast. I said, really? That was your favorite <laughs> So, um, and not to downplay anyone's story, it's just, you know, some of them you feel like they just really have a groove and they come together just right. And others might seem a little choppy and you're not really sure about the direction you're going to go. Um, but sometimes I think, you know, the ones that are the least planned are the ones that, that really are just authentic and natural. And I think at the end of the day, that's what people want to hear. They just want to hear a couple of people being really transparent in a conversation and just sharing their hearts. And I love the stories that come out. Um, I love, you know, getting together with some of these guys that maybe I hadn't talked to in years and just ask them to come on the show. And, um, you know, one of the things that I've learned is um, talk very little before, you know, you always have that uh, preliminary point where you kind of tell them what what's going to happen in the podcast and then you hit record. Well, sometimes we get to talking and conversational and we're 20 minutes in and I haven't even hit record yet and I'm yeah. missing a lot of really good content. So. Yeah. I learned the best thing to do is email them some of the thoughts. And then as soon as you get them on the phone, just hit record. And then Cole, you, you're my pr uh, producer. So you get to edit out stuff that, that doesn't <laughs> sound great. So, <laughs> but um, no, it's just a lot of fun again to, you know, relive some memories, um, rekindle some friendships and then have some meaningful conversations that you realize that, Hey, we're enjoying talking about this stuff, but there's potentially hundreds or thousands of people that could be impacted by the stuff that they're hearing. Yeah. I think that's, it's pretty crazy to think about how anybody in the world could find your podcast if they wanted to. And you just have no idea who or when somebody, you know, who's going to listen or when they're going to listen. You know, I remember one time I got an email from some list and it was like, you're, you're charting as the number 30 something podcast in like the Czech Republic. And I'm just thinking, who in the world <laughs> in the Czech Republic is yeah. finding my podcast? And it just was this reminder that anywhere anybody can listen to it. And yeah. that it's it's crazy to think about the impact that it could have and the stories that you have on there. And uh, it really, I mean, it it's easy to forget how important the work is. But if God's put something on your heart to do it, whether that's a podcast, whether that's you know, writing a blog or or whatever the case is, you really have no idea what kind of lasting impact. And and that's something that our pastor at church has talked about just he he mentioned um you know his fourth grade teacher he's like he, he said his name and he said how many of you know mr so and so and nobody raised their hand and they said and he was like exactly but what you don't know is had he not decided to invest in me 30 years ago or however long it was i i would not be here standing and talking to you and it was a message of you just have no idea what kind of daily impact you can have and you know for me as a as a you know with this podcast it's like i, I enjoy doing it personally but it's also just like, I, I pray that somebody will find it. And, and whether it's this conversation, whether it's another one that I've had with somebody else, you know, they'll find the conversation that they need to hear at the right time. And whether they give you the direct feedback or not, you just kind of trust that God's doing with it what, what he's supposed to. Cause uh, yeah, I don't get a ton of feedback on this. Uh, you know, some people, they do podcasts. They don't hear a ton from the listeners, but you just trust that people are listening and, and it's a, it's a really cool outlet. And I think it's, for me, it's been fun just to connect with people and hear their stories and share their stories. Cause like you said, everybody has got their own story and, uh, it's, 
whether that's an athlete, whether that's, you know, an artist of some sort, uh, everybody's got their own, their own story to tell. So yeah, I've enjoyed it. I've enjoyed listening to yours. You do a really, really good job. Um, uh, what's something you've learned that you didn't know about maybe podcasting or just this idea of interviewing people from when you started to now? Well, I usually learn something about the people I'm interviewing in the research that I'm doing ahead of the podcast. Yeah. And, and, uh, man, I find out things all the time from Wikipedia or from different articles <laughs> written. Um, some of the stuff on Wikipedia is not true. So be careful what you believe there. Yeah. But, um, but oftentimes, you know, I'll read something in an article that, oh, I never knew that about them. And I'll ask them about it and it'll take us off on a, a whole new tangent. Um, and I'll learn something about them maybe for the first time. And some of these are lifelong friends. So um, it, it's just really cool, again, when you have a focus on uh, elevating someone else, on learning more about them, on making it about their story. Um, it's amazing what we can learn when we listen instead of talking. And so uh, I've just enjoyed listening. I've enjoyed, you know, having a few questions ready because uh, you certainly don't want dead air, but invariably uh, they'll make a comment or they'll, you know, uh, open up another topic that will go off on a rabbit trail and it'll end up being a, a good portion of our conversation. And if I was, you know, intent on just, you know, sticking to my script, we never would have gotten there. Yeah. I'm so glad you you said that because I have had some people that when I've asked uh, them to come on the show. They've wanted a list of questions. And I tell them, look, I say, Hey, I've got some talking points, but this is a conversational approach to where I don't know what might come up. And I don't want to do, like you said, just stick to the questions. I may want to go off on, you know, this question, or you may say something that I didn't know about. And I think listeners, they, they prefer that. And I, when I taught high school journalism and I taught, you know, how to interview, I would tell my, my students just, you need to just have a conversation just like you would with anybody else that you get to know them. Cause like you said, if, if you're not listening to what they have to say and you're only thinking about the next question, then it's not really, not really a good interview because you're not learning about them. So I, I like that you said that. And I can tell, I mean, you, you, you're, you've got a good flow to your, your uh, interviews and it seems like your guests are always really comfortable, which to me is a sign of a good host. So that's great. Uh, the last question I love to ask my guests. So the show is called in no hurry. And we talked a little bit about this at the top of the episode, but when you get to a busy point of your life, like you said, you got kids and you got all kinds of stuff going on. What are some things that you do or, or one thing specifically that you do to sort of slow down and just make sure that you're, you're not going at so much of a hurry and, and that you're able to spend time with God and just kind of recenter yourself. Yeah. Well, that, um, that quiet time in the morning that I mentioned um, has been a constant for me for the last eight years. Um, I keep a journal um, every morning I go through a, a, a Bible in a year plan. And so every morning I'm reading an Old Testament passage, a New Testament passage, and a Psalm or a proverb. Um, I'm writing down my thoughts as I'm reading, and then I'm also cataloging some prayers. And um, and now, you know, I, I go through these uh, composition notebooks, about three and a half of those a year. And so doing it eight years, I guess I've got, you know, almost 25 of these journals. Wow. And I, I think about like, you know, the library of information that I've written and just, you know, pouring out my heart and um, discoveries that God's uh, revealed to me in his word. Um, I think about those things, you know, maybe one day passing along to my children and um, and really letting them kind of peer into my heart and some of the struggles that I was going through, some of the joys, some of the um, the prayers that I was offering up that were answered or maybe were answered in a different way. Um I think those are are going to be things that that really last for a long time. Um, and again, you know, just kind of give me a 
a whole new countenance when it comes to how I'm approaching the day. Um, but I also recognize the importance for Sabbath. Um, here in a couple, in about a week, I'm going to go off on a, a two week sabbatical. And, um, and the whole purpose of this is to, to unplug completely, um, to get away from email, to get away from social media, to get away from text messaging and calling. Um, I'm, I'm going to have to turn off my phone and just put it in my desk. And, um, I'm really excited though, because we've got some fun family stuff planned and I'm going on a backpacking trip with my daughter and, um, we're going on a, a beach vacation over 4th of July. So, you know, really just getting back to those relationships and some of the most important ones, which are our family, um, and really just, you know, kind of reminiscing on, on, um, you know, what has God given me? What's so, what is important? Um, and how can I just, um, you know, be more about prioritizing those instead of, uh, getting caught up in, um, the, the ruthless, uh, elimination of hurry, you know, that's one of the, the books that I've heard yep. recently. And so just, uh, you know, trying to to get away from hurry and uh, and really just trying to listen for God and and um and love on people. Yeah, no, I, I love that. Yeah, that that book came out right around the time that I launched this podcast, and there were quite a few other books that were about that idea of we're just going too fast, and mm-hmm. you know we need we need to slow down. So it seemed like at least in that season of life, that was a message I was hearing pretty consistently, and even still, I think I, I think even still, I, I'm reminding myself of that every day because it's very easy to get off track and keep piling more and more on. And then you, you know, you lose sight of spending time with God and that sort of thing. So that's great. Well, Scott, uh, how can people, if they want to connect with you and water mission, uh, whether they want, if they want to follow you on social media individually, then also if they want to connect with water mission and support what you guys are doing there, uh, how, how can they do that? Yeah. Uh, come find me on social media. I'm on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. Um, there's nothing fancy. It's just Scott Linebrink at Scott Linebrink. Um, go to water missions page. You can find them on all the social media channels. You can also find them at watermission.org. Um, go check out their work. There's some really cool stories on the website and, um, and ways that you can engage and get involved. And, um, again, as I mentioned, we, we need advocates. We need people who care. Uh, we need those who are are willing to give of themselves, uh, whether it's time, talent, treasure, all of those things are are things that we have that we can give that uh, can make a difference in this world. So uh, would love to hear from folks, would love to, again, talk about uh, the passions you have for serving others, and would love to be a guide in that process. That's great. And obviously, check out Scott's podcast, Get in the Game. That's available anywhere you get podcasts. You can find it also on sportspectrum.com. There's a link on there as well. That comes out every other week. So I would highly recommend anybody, especially if you're a baseball fan to check that out. It's not always a former baseball player or current baseball player. That's a guest, but a lot of the time it is, and you'll hear, get to hear their stories. Uh, but more often than not, uh, you'll hear athletes, but every week you'll hear somebody that's got a great story to tell. So Scott, thanks so much for coming on and doing this. It was great chatting with you and enjoy your sabbatical. I know you'll, you'll have some time to get away and you'll, enjoy that so we'll catch up with you whenever you get back thank you cole it's been a lot of fun well thanks to scott again for joining me this week and thanks to you for checking out this podcast episode i love scott's heart for people and i really loved his take on how he viewed the minor leagues and serving and just putting his teammates ahead of himself like we talked about that can be such a cutthroat part of a professional athlete's career 
And to have that perspective is really impressive. So I really appreciate Scott sharing that. Definitely be sure to check out his podcast. Give him a follow on Instagram, social media. Let him know that you enjoyed hearing him on this podcast this week. And if you and I are not already connected on social media, I would love for that to change. You can give me a follow on Twitter and Instagram at Cole Claiborne. And you can find me on Facebook, Cole Douglas Claiborne on Facebook. And then you can also find my website, ColeClaiborne.com. And all of that is in the show notes, as well as a link to my Substack newsletter. And I would love for you to sign up for that. So all of those links, everything in the show notes, be sure to check that out. And again, this is a holiday week, so especially this week, but no matter when you're listening to this conversation, hope you guys find some time to relax this week and not be in a hurry. And we'll catch you next time.